0: I'll be reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 15, 1 through 9. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hear thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and when he came upon from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both men and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telam two hundred thousand footmen and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and said, wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Canaanites, Go, depart, get you. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramath. But the Spirit of the Lord departed. I'm on on the wrong verse. Down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havalah until they comest sure that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly.
1: I don't know, Art. Every time you come and lead singing for us, I covet your singing voice. I don't know if that's good or bad. (laughs) I appreciate Art and Gloria being here. Uh, We have some other visitors. We're glad Amy is here visiting to pick up John John. Able to be with us for uh, at least a little while. We're thankful for that. Have you ever noticed that people have a little trouble with uh, following direction? Maybe following orders? Those of us who have children, have you ever sat down at the supper table and had to continually remind your child or your children what the purpose of sitting there is for, and that's to eat? I still have to do that. I have grown children come over to my house, and I still have to remind them, hey, we're here to eat, your food's getting cold, and uh, continually have to do that. I remember one time since uh, since the girls are not here, they're gone camping. They're at Mount Della this morning up in uh, uh, Squatchy County. I think that's Sequatchie County, isn't it? I mean, not Sequatchie County, Van Buren County, isn't it? Mount Della? Okay. Okay, they're in uh, Bledsoe County, Mount Della. But anyway, uh, since the girls aren't here, I can uh, use them as an example. And if I want them to know what I say, I will tell them. But anyway, we'd be sitting at the supper table, and I'd have to tell Blakeland, eat your broccoli. And undoubtedly, I would hear, I did eat my broccoli. And I'd say, well, what's all that green stuff on your plate that looks like broccoli? And at my house, we never could buy regular broccoli. We had to buy the florets because nobody wanted the stem. And I tried to explain to them, it all tastes the same. They didn't like the look of the stem. And Gloria says it doesn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But even when I would buy the florets, Blakeland would eat the top off of it and try to her best to find a stem in that. And it would be laying around on her plate. And so I'd say, well, what is that? But you know, that isn't just peculiar to children, is it? That some people have trouble following direction, following orders. I think adults have uh more than just a little bit of trouble with that themselves. I think all we have to do is open the paper, listen to the radio, and we can read about all kinds of people who have gotten into all kinds of trouble doing things they should not do. They just simply cannot follow the law, can they? We have problems with that. You know in in uh, Chattanooga uh, as of November the 1st or November the 4th, we've had 31 murders in this city. 31. That's fourth in the state. Of course, that's a good bit behind uh Knoxville and uh Memphis. Memphis, I think as of November the 5th had 180 something murders. Nashville had something over 100 murders, maybe 108, uh, or Knoxville rather, and I'm not sure, I don't recall what Nashville had, but at any rate, uh, there's a lot of problems. But then again, we look at not being able to follow direction, and it's not always with our secular law. It's not always with household rules, is it? Most of people in the world have a problem following direction from God in spiritual matters. That's a huge problem. There are more people who uh, involve themselves in spiritual wrongdoing than there are in criminal wrongdoing, than there are in breaking household rules. And a lot of them may not even uh, realize they're doing it, but they're still involving themselves in trespass against God. Now, whether that's a complete disregard for the will of God or cherry-picking commandments that you like, those that you do not want to to follow, or whatever the case may be, people have problems following direction. Now, in our text this morning, we have a perfect example of one who disregarded the commandments of God for what he wanted to do. King Saul decided that he knew better. I've titled the sermon this morning, The Fool Who Knew Better. Now, why would I have chosen that? When we read what the psalmist had to say, he said, The fool hath said in his heart that there is no God. And so, that's a disbeliever, isn't it? Someone who says there is no God is someone who does not believe in God. And and the ruler of the universe said, That person is a fool. So why was it that I've labeled King Saul a fool? Because after all, he was the king over Israel, wasn't he? Wasn't he anointed by Samuel himself? Wasn't he chosen by God from the smallest tribe of Benjamin to be the very first king over Israel? So he surely knew that there was a God in heaven. Well, he knew there was a God in heaven, but did he believe the God in heaven? Did he believe the orders or the direction that the God in heaven had set forth? I'm saying no, he did not. And I go back to this example and you've heard it before, but I can't think of a better one. When I was growing up, we burned firewood in a, in a regular old fireplace and so it was my job as a, as a young boy to make sure we had firewood on the porch. And so I would have to go out and if, if we didn't have firewood already, uh, busted up, I would have to do that and I would have to stack it on the porch and my dad knew about how much firewood we needed for a period of time and So he would tell me, put so much firewood on the porch, and I can recall very clearly one winter when he told me to do that, and I failed to do it. Now, did I believe I had a dad in the world? Absolutely. Did I believe that he had told me to do something? Well, I thought I did, but did I really believe that he meant that because I disregarded what he said? If we do not do what God says to do, do we really believe that He means it? I don't know how we can say that because if we did, I think we would have a whole lot more people in the world who followed God's instruction. Now, when my father came home and he saw where I had failed and following his instruction, he made a real believer out of me. And I no longer had to be told To get the firewood on the porch. I just did it. And when I saw the firewood starting to get a little low, I just went out and started putting some on the porch. I didn't want to have that interaction with him anymore because I believed what he said. He meant to have some firewood on the porch. So when Saul is told by Samuel from God, you go to Amalek because I remember what they did. They came out and they did some things and now it's time for them to be punished. Saul knew all the facts, but did he really believe? Well, he chose to do what he wanted to do. So as we learn from this fool who knew better, let's take away some things through from his mistakes to help us be better Christians in today's world. And I want to start with noticing his rebellion. That's our first point. Before Samuel instructed Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, He first reminded him who he was. Samuel reminded Saul that it was God who chose him to be the first king over Israel. Now that should have brought to his remembrance that God means what he intends. After all, God was the power behind Saul being the king over Israel. And he should have listened to God. He knew what God had done. He knew the history of Israel. He was very aware of what happened when Moses came out of Egypt with those people. And so that should have been an indication to him. Take God at His word. Seriously consider what He has said. Now, I think that though we do know the things God has asked us to do, I think it is quite necessary for us to be continually reminded and for us to remind ourselves of the things that God desires for us. In writing to Christians, Peter made that very statement. Notice what he said, 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 1. He wrote, saying, "...this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance." that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So we have to be reminded from time to time. Sometimes we have to be reminded, eat your broccoli. Sometimes we have to be reminded, maintain our faith in whatever way we need to be reminded. And in whatever exercise we need to do to make sure that we are reminded. In any time, that we receive a commandment from God, we need to seriously consider the repercussions and the consequences if we do not do that. Now we recall as Joshua took the people of Israel over into the Promised Land and they went up to defeat Jericho and they were very successful in doing that, but there was someone, Joshua chapter 7, who did not do what God asked them to do. And we know his name is Achan. Achan, along with all the other children of Israel, were told not to keep for themselves any of the bounty that was from that city. They had to learn something. They had to learn that all things belong to God, and He gets His part that He has set aside for Himself from the people first. It comes right off of the top, right? And I think that's a lesson for us when we consider our giving as an act of worship. We need to set aside... Time to reflect on what we want to offer to God. And we have to understand God gets His part first. Now, it all belongs to God, but as an act of worship, we need to consider that we give God His due before we give mankind their due. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pay our bills, that we don't do what we'll say we do. What it does mean is we're to be good stewards. We are to make sure God gets what He has coming and then everybody else gets what's left over. That's not what Achan did. Achan had took for himself something out of that; uh, those things that were left over from the destruction of Jericho. Now, we know he had a wedge of gold. He had a Babylonian garment. And he took that and he buried it inside his tent. And so as a result, what happened? Well, he was found out. He wasn't hiding from anyone. The only person he had fooled for a period of time was Joshua and the other people. Because they went up to Ai, they were destroyed by a much smaller and inferior force. And so Joshua laid down before God and he pleaded with God to want to know what was wrong. What can I do? And so God directed him to the problem. And that was Achan. So as a result, Achan, his whole family, his livestock, his tent, all of his possessions, they were burned. Achan and his family were stoned to death. And someone looks at that and they say, "Well, why in the world did Achan's family suffer?" Well, I think we understand God doesn't punish the uh the innocent. <clears throat> so in some way Achan's family either participated in what he had done or knew about it and kept it to themselves. But there's another lesson we learn. Sin affects those around us, right? And so not only did was Achan's family affected, but the whole nation of Israel Was affected. So, God gave a commandment, and like Saul, Achan refused to abide by that commandment. And so he was punished. Now, what happened to Saul? He rebelled. He was reminded who put him where he was. And then, of course, he was reminded that God required obedience. Samuel came to him. Samuel came to him. And I think one of the things we notice here is God does not forget. God does not forget. People forget. Sometimes we allow things to slip our minds. God doesn't forget anything. So God comes to Samuel. And through Samuel, he told Saul that he remembered what those Amalekites did, Exodus chapter 17, how they came out against Israel unprovoked. And we remember the scenario... Joshua took the the uh, armies of Israel and fought against the Amalekites. And we remember what happened. Moses was sitting overlooking the battle and he had his rod in his hand. And when he raised his rod, Israel prevailed. When he dropped his rod, Israel became uh, began to be defeated. Now, have you ever held something out in front of you for a very long period of time? I had a very good friend of mine who joined the Navy... And, uh, he had done something while he was in boot camp and he's being punished for it. So, uh, the, uh, the instructor, and I'm not sure what they call, uh, in the army you call him a drill sergeant, don't you Clay? They call him something else in the Navy. Anyway, he made him take a pencil and put, hold it in between two fingers right straight out in front of him. All day long or at least until his arms felt like they were broke and began to cramp up. He said, by the time it was over, the pencil was way up here, and he was trying his best to hold it. So, we see Moses sitting overlooking this battle, holding that rod above his hand. Well, his hands began to become weary. So we remember he had two friends. He had Aaron, his brother, and the man named Hur. And they stood beside Moses and they held up his arms so Joshua could prevail. But God did not forget what the Amalekites did. And for centuries, He gave them an opportunity to repent of that. And they never did. So He chose Saul as his rod of judgment. You go in and you utterly destroy the Amalekites, every person in the nation. You destroy all the animals. You don't keep anything. You utterly destroyed, he said, because I will wipe the remembrance of Amalekites from history. Now, let's read exactly what he said in Exodus 17, verse 14. Telling Moses, he said, Write this for a a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalekite from under heaven. Again, it had been about 500 years. And so we come back, we go into the future about 500 years. 1 Samuel 15, verse 3, Saul was given clear instruction. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. As always, God's instructions are clear. Saul chose not to do that. That's not only... True in the case of Saul and people of Israel, that's true in the New Testament period of time, isn't it? We get over to the New Testament when the church was in its infancy and we come across a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. It was during a period of time, Acts chapter 5, when the people had come to Jerusalem, the church was newly formed, and what was going on was the members of the church were selling their possessions and they were giving it to those who were in need. And those who were in need would take that and they were able to stay there and they were able to learn and listen to the teaching of the apostles. This not, wasn't necessary. They didn't have to do that. They did that through their own choice. And so we read about Barnabas doing that. And we come across Ananias and Sapphira and so they sold a piece of property and they gave it to the apostles or at least they gave half of the proceedings, The proceeds rather. And they kept back half. But do you recall what they told Peter and the apostles? We've given you all of it. They lied. God doesn't forget. And because of that, and their lack of repentance, God destroyed them. They were struck dead by the power of the Holy Spirit at the hand of Peter. Like them, they refused to obey God. Saul did. And so we see the result of that. But then we learn this verses 4 through 7, indicate to us in our text that maybe Saul was going to do what he was told to do. And then we get over and it says, Saul took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge That they destroyed utterly. If it was garbage, if it was junk, if it was a lame animal, if it wasn't worth anything in the eyes of Saul and the people, they absolutely decided to destroy it. But that's not what God said, was it? God said destroy everyone, men, women, children, suckling, ox, ass, all of the animals, everything. Don't keep anything back. We're going to wipe out the memory from under heaven of Amalek. That's not what Saul did. So he had to be reminded of who he was. And he had to be reminded that God does not forget. that same thing happens in the religious world today. God gives us a plan of salvation, and through His kindness and His love, He didn't owe that to anyone. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He allowed us to have an access to Him, a way to be redeemed, to be brought, uh, bought back so we can stand justified in His sight. And we understand what that is very clearly stated in the Bible. Just like all of God's instruction is very clearly stated and something we can understand. John 8, 24, Christ Himself said, Unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. We go on to read about uh, the different apostles and teachers of the New Testament repeating that same thing. We get over to Acts chapter 8, and we read about the last part of Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch being taught by Philip, and they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hindereth me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest, thou mayest. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So belief is absolutely necessary. So now we see that also confession. So we have belief, we have confession, and we have these different uh, at least eight different accounts of salvation or conversion in the book of Acts, and they all have different things, except they all heard the Word and they were all baptized. So we hear about hearing, we hear about believing, we hear about confession, but let's go back to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter demanded that the people repented. repent and be converted. That's the same thing He said, basically, in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, because conversion happens at baptism. So now we have hearing the Word of God, we have faith or belief, we have repentance, we have confession, we have baptism. And that's what Ananias told a praying, uh, fasting Saul, arise and be baptized, Acts 22.16, washing away thy sins. And so that's very clear to us, but that's not what the denominational world says. The denominational world says just believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved and nothing could be further from the truth. Let's look at Saul of Tarsus as a prime example. Did he believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. He met him on the way to Damascus. He acknowledged him as Lord and for three days he fasted, showing his repentance and his belief that he wanted to be saved and he was sorry for what he had done. Yet when Ananias the preacher came to him and he said, Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, we find he was still in sin. He hadn't had his sins removed because it took baptism as the final act, 1 Peter 3, 21. But because of Saul's rebellion, Samuel came with a rebuke to God. And God rebukes people today when they do not do what He asks. That's our second point. God exposed Saul, didn't He? God exposed Saul. The Bible exposes sin. And Samuel was told what was going to happen, and he relayed that message. He told Saul, or rather God told Samuel first, and then Samuel relayed that message, that it repented God that he had chosen Saul as king over Israel. Now, something very important we have to understand And people use this to try to discredit the Bible. When God repents, it's not like when people repent. God has never done any sin. He's never done anything He had to repent to have forgiveness of. God simply changed His mind according to the events as they unfolded. He put Saul in place as king. He told Saul what to do. If Saul maintained the proper behavior, he wouldn't be maintained as king. Saul didn't do that, so it repented God. So he changed the process. He took Saul out of being king from that position, and he put someone in there who would be faithful. Well, that's a big statement, isn't it? God expects faithfulness. Notice what's said about God in Numbers 23, verse 19. Moses recorded saying, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of man that he should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? If God says He's going to do something, He'll do it. We've been studying the minor prophets on Wednesday nights. They'll make a statement as if it has already happened. Israel uh, uh, has been destroyed, and that's the sense we get. Well, it hadn't happened yet. They hadn't been carried off into captivity. But it was as good as done because God said it would happen. God repented in that He changed His mind concerning His plan of action. All things that God promises to us, except very few things, are always conditional. Is Jesus Christ going to come back? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what we do. That's not conditional. Christ will return. Will God punish the wicked? Absolutely. That's not conditional. The, the wicked will be punished. Will God bless the faithful? Absolutely. That's going to happen no matter what anyone does in the world. Those who are faithful will be saved. Now, what's conditional? Whether I'm part of the faithful or not. That's conditional. Could Saul keep the throne or not? That was conditional. And so, God does what He says He will do. Now, we're exposed by God when we do not comply with His commands, just as Saul was. The writer of Hebrews made this statement, Hebrews 4, verse 12. He said, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The written Word exposes error and it exposes sin in the lives of people. The Word of God did the same thing during the time of Saul. It happened to not be written down in the sense that Samuel didn't write it down as he told Saul those things, but it was still the Word of God. Saul did have the Pentateuch. He did have some of the other writings, but it is the Word of God that does that. Judas was exposed, wasn't he? His greed was exposed. His sinfulness was exposed. Peter was exposed prior to, uh, or, or uh, right after he denied Christ the first time. And then when the cock crowed and he turned and he saw the Lord looking in him, he certainly was exposed to the dividing of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. He understood what was going on. There are going to be a lot of people standing in front of God on the judgment day and they're going to plead and they're going to beg for mercy and they're going to say I've done all these certain things but the word of God will expose them in their sin notice Matthew 2 beginning verse 22 I'm sorry, that's the wrong passage. I didn't correctly write that down. I'm going to read you the verse and someone find where it is. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There are going to be people standing in the very presence of God, and they're going to say, I proclaimed your name. I talked about how I loved you. I talked about who you were and and what you did and, and, and how you died for us. And He's going to say, depart from me. You did not follow instruction. You did not do what I asked you to do. We need to understand from this passage of Scripture, when we obey only... Part of what God says, we disobey God fully. and We see that in the actions of King Saul. After Saul was exposed, what was the first thing he did? This isn't peculiar to Saul. It is not unique to anyone. He began to make excuse when he was rebuked. When he saw Samuel, the first thing out of his mouth was, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord, verse thirteen, of our passage. It was at that point that Samuel made that very well-known statement. He said, "What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear?" Notice the arrogance of Paul, or excuse me, Saul. He proclaimed, "I did what you told me to do." He wanted a pat on the back. Glory be to God, I've done what you've asked me to do. Now praise me for that. I think that's still happening today. We have people in the world today who claim to be apostles of Christ. We have people in the world today who claim they can perform the miraculous. They can't do any of that. That's arrogance. Now here's what Paul said concerning those people. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 13. He said, For such are false apostles... Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ and no marvel. Don't be surprised, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. Don't you think it's interesting? When Saul came before Samuel and he wanted praise, he said, I have done this. I have done that. When he wanted to distance himself from the sin that had that had been committed, he began to say, "They did this, they did that. The people made me do it." Now, who was king? Who was in control? Who was in charge? Who had to? Who was the leader? And who was it that had to be obeyed? It was Saul. Satan always wants us to blame someone else. Have you noticed that that has permeated our culture today? It's never my fault. It's always someone else's. It's society. I had a bad mom or a bad dad. Do you know how many people in this world grew up with sorry parents? A bunch. A bunch. And not all of them turned out bad. How many people in this world grew up poor? Probably almost every one of us can raise our hand to that. I grew up not having a whole lot. My wife grew up not having a whole lot. I know many of you grew up not having a whole lot. And then when we got grown, we tried to provide a little better for our children and for those that we that depended upon us. But, you know, we have to take responsibility. That's what being a Christian is all about. Personal responsibility. But Saul didn't want to do that. He wanted to blame the people. And that's what Satan wants. So because of all of that, his rebuke, and his rebellion led to his rejection. That's our final point. After listening to the excuses Saul made, notice how Samuel replied. Beginning in verse 18 and 1 Samuel 15. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Even though the prophet of God rebuked that man, he still continued to defend himself. He said, yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought back Agag. Now wait a minute. It's time to stop and look at what he said. I have done what you asked me to do. And I brought back Agag. That's not what he asked Saul to do. He said, go destroy the king. Destroy the people. Destroy the animals. Don't bring anybody back. But he said he brought that back. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen. Okay, I did what you told me to do. Now the people... They brought back these things we weren't supposed to have. And to that Samuel asked, Hath the Lord His great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. 1 Samuel 15, 22. In other words, is that broccoli on your plate? Are those sheep I hear? Are those oxen, loin? in the background, but you say you did what God asked you to do. What Saul refused to admit was the sacrifice that he wanted to offer could only be made after he disobeyed God, and that's not acceptable. Worship that springs from the heart of one who is living in sin is not accepted by God. Jesus made mention of that, Mark 7, beginning verse 7. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Notice God's reaction to uh, Saul's reply. Because God or Saul rejected God's commandment, God rejected Saul. That just makes sense, doesn't it? What Saul had done characterized or was characterized as rebellion and stubbornness. We can't stand in rebellion in the sight of God. We can't be stubborn in the sight of God. Serving God is about humility. It's about giving ourselves to Him. It's about bowing at His feet. Samuel said that rebellion is like witchcraft. One who is stubborn lives in open rebellion to God, just as one who practices witchcraft. So... Someone says, well, Saul wasn't practicing witchcraft. He was in open rebellion. Someone who practices witchcraft is in open rebellion. So which open rebellion is better than the other? Which part of hell is better than the other? We don't want to be in any part of it, do we? Even when he finally admitted his guilt, he was still blaming his men for causing him to sin. If we reject God, he will certainly... Reject us, Matthew ten, thirty-two through thirty-three. That's not what we want. We reject the Lord just like Saul when we refuse to obey his commandments. Remember, he said, John fourteen, fifteen, If you love me, keep my commandments. I think if we learn anything from Saul, it ought to be to obey is better than sacrifice. To choose something we think is better makes us fools in the sight of God. We don't know better than God. God knows better. God has given us direction and instruction for our own good. We tell our children to eat a healthy diet, not because we're opposed to them having things they enjoy, but we want them to be healthy. We want them to be able to grow and to do the things that, that uh, they're capable of doing. We don't tell our children or those we love to not participate in the sins of this world because we don't want them to have a good time in this world. Christians ought to have more fun than anyone. We ought to be the happiest people in the world, but we can't do it in rebellion to God. We restrict the lifestyles of those uh, under our oversight because we love them. And that's what God does. Paul warned, the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. A person might go unpunished in this life. Saul didn't, but some people do. But no one goes unpunished in the next life for committing sin. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. Give yourself to God. Obey His commandments. If you have and you've fallen away, come back to Him through repentance and prayer. We talked about how to become a Christian. We can do that today. If you, if you need to come back, we can pray with you and for you and ask God to forgive you. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, please do that as we stand and as we sing.